0: Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the business Fun podcast. It's me, Dave Wakeman. My guest today is Aaron Kanopy from seats app. Uh, we had a great conversation, uh, the Seats app is this n- really cool new tool that has caught on with renewed relevance in the time of the pandemic because it helps people uh, not congregate in lines. It helps generate revenue. It is so that people don't have to stand in line to buy beers and food and all kinds of merchandise and all kinds of stuff, which is super relevant now because if we can get people back into the stadiums, lines may be a challenge for people even after we have a vaccine or have safety protocols in place that make coming back to stadiums, arenas, uh, theaters possible. So I wanted to have Aaron on to talk about uh, what he's dealing with, his leadership throughout the pandemic. Some of the things that SeatGeek have had to deal with, um, you know, how the product's innovated, how it's changed, what it means to the future of live entertainment, how they drive revenue, um, what it is as a tool to concessionaires. Um, what the impact's like for fans. Um, there's some really cool stuff here. Um, the one thing that was most interesting to me was the examples that they were able to show of how much the revenue increased. And how much su- customer satisfaction improved just from the ability to offer people access to um, fa- you know, less wait time, uh, easier purchase options. And all of these things, you know, and delivery as a service is the way he described it using the seats app. So it's a really, really cool thing um, with Aaron. I'd like to point you to my friends at Booking Protect, who are the global leaders in refund protection. Uh, check them out at BookingProtect.com forward slash home there's some great stuff going up there continually going up there about the recovery about rebuilding relationships about focusing on the future if you have been thinking about ways to help encourage people to buy tickets early or to get people to buy tickets now um, as you are figuring out how you're going to proceed with your business check them out bookingprotect.com forward slash home Make sure you check out the We Will Recover project. That's at wewillrecover.live. That is a project put together by Anar and Martin from Activity Stream and the entire team. Uh, it's a great idea. Um, tons of people from around the globe like me, Andrew and Carol from the Ticketing Professionals Conference in Birmingham, Angela and Joe from the Ticketing Professionals Conference in Australia, uh, Ntix, QQ uh made media all kinds of folks all over the place are involved there's a new series about lessons learned from the pandemic that's going up now uh getting some people from australia like the victoria racing club um, i believe there's going to be some major league baseball teams participating there's all kinds of really cool stuff that's coming up soon so check it out we will recover live um, i'm recording this thing on september 30th 2020 so last night we had a debate uh, in America. We have an election that is already in progress with early voting in several states uh, and mail uh, vote by mail ballots are already entering uh, including my mailbox now Uh, make sure you vote Uh, america has one of the lowest participation rates of any western democracy um, and if that debate last night did not show you that you probably need to make your voice heard uh, I don't know what could. So check. Um, in a, but an organization that I am pointing people towards is called iVotedConcerts.com. A young lady called Emily White has put this together with a bunch of people from all over the world. It's a great thing. So check it out at iVotedConcerts.com. Uh, now back to Aaron. Um, this podcast, I think, is really good. Uh, so we talked about technology as it being more than just a. A solution is a tool to help us achieve better outcomes. We talk about customization and innovation and what goes into being a good partner with a team or venue. Um, we talk about the difference between um, how to make a good first impression, why things are slow to adapt, um, what smartphones are enable people to do, Uh, connectivity challenges, conditioning, all all kinds of interesting things. One point here is, for some reason, the audio file seems to be a little off. So there may be a little bit of a challenge there, but hopefully not too much. Uh, But I think you're going to learn some interesting stuff from Aaron. Uh, So without anything else from me, here's my conversation with Aaron from Seat Apps on the Business Fun Podcast.
1: All right, Aaron Canopy, welcome to the Business of Fun podcast, I, or should I call you Ryan? And you can call me Cheryl. That's, a, that's, no, a
2: that's joke I'll go by anything that's got more than four letters in it, Dave.
1: So. Oh, great. Hey, thank you for doing this, man. I'm excited to talk to you. We had a really great conversation the other day, and um, it's, it's going to be good for people to hear from you, I think.
2: Well, great. Glad to be here. Very excited to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, of course. Uh, so I want to start out like with um, in a similar fashion to how I've started out many of these podcasts since the, I started doing a lot more of them uh, after we kind of got our foot feet underneath us with the pandemic and start out by talking about how you've led your team through the pandemic. Um, to me and in my audience, it's been interesting to see the different leadership styles and the different mm-hmm. approaches people have taken to leading their teams through the pandemic. So, if you could give us a little bit about how you've led, you know, over the last few months, um, I think that'd be a good place to start.
2: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, it has been, uh, I mean, it has been a very interesting time, and I can do nothing but give, you know, give credit to the team that we've built over here at SEATS. They've made it easy. Um, you know, they have been very resilient, uh you know, sure, at the beginning uh you know in mid march there were a few dark days you know some some real deep soul searching on what do we do and where do we go uh we quickly you know we quickly came together and really started building that vision of you know what do seats look like you know in a covid world and and eventually in a post covid world and you know really started to focus on those those positive things that we could actually build on and control and and what value can we create for the clientele. And and once we found those and really understood, you know, where we could be successful in this world, which was, you know, very quickly into all of it, uh, man, the team just, you know, we, we had quite a bit of discussion around, okay, well, you know, who's going to do what, how are we going to do it, you know, quickly divvied up the task and, and we went to work, you know, so sales and business development, getting the message out, you know, tech, you know, really making sure that, that the capability is where it needs to be. And then just weekly check-ins, you know, how's everybody doing? Uh, you know, give us the good news. Uh, let's, let's keep moving forward. So, But, you know, one of our core values at SEATS is grit. And I've got to say that, uh, you know, day in and day out, there's not a single member of our team who hasn't demonstrated that core value. They're in there. It's a grind this is not something that's going to go away tomorrow. And we all fully realize that. And so, you know, we learn to make the best out of it as we can. And uh, and we live to fight another day, another month, another year.
1: Now, you you've talked about some of the stuff that you've been able to work on during the pandemic. And one thing I haven't had a chance to ask anybody about is the new business development. Because a lot of the stuff has been about... Uh, and, you know, and this has not been intentional by any stretch of the imagination. It's been about how did you stabilize the business? Um, and you, because you have a small agile team, and we'll get into where the idea came from in a little bit, um, because I think that's a pretty funny story. But um, the new business development, you know, what what has that been like for you and your team? Because I think there is a, you know, a, a little bit of a, a myth that there's no business going on, which I know is not true. But there, you know, it might be real that there is not as much business going on as there might have been in January. So, what does the new business development process look like for you and your team?
2: Yeah, you know, it's been really interesting for us. It's it's a bit of a double-edged sword. You know, there is not a lot of what I'll call operational business going on out there right now. But but what there is is there's a tremendous amount of of need for planning. Uh, especially around live events, bringing people back safely into sport. And so, you know, in all candidness, COVID has actually opened up uh, a lot of doors for us simply because, you know, our platform enables, you know, social distancing. It mitigates, you know, lines on the concourse, crowds on the concourse. And, you know, when we put our business development hats back on and went out into the field, we found just a tremendous appetite for discussion around a service such as ours. And so, you know, it's been really, really beneficial. It's really helped us, you know, get into planning mode, make sure that our plans around uh, COVID safety uh, are, you know, are spot on, that we're aligned with our clientele. And it's really helped us, you know, with big partners uh, of ours, such as the large concessionaires, uh, and the teams as well. So we've had great audiences with Major League Baseball, with the National Hockey League, you know, NBA and NFL, simply because there is such an emphasis on on the need for safety because they, they want to get those fans back in the stands as soon as possible.
1: Well and me both. Um, so I guess you, you brought you, you played you laid it out pretty well like Pretty well for us. When you said operational business is low, but there's a lot of planning and things revolving around bringing folks back. Um, I guess what that that opens the door to talk about where the idea started and how you were able to pivot so quickly from what you were focusing on to this new idea. Because really, at the heart of what you've been doing is this idea that you thought about eliminating lines and. The story that you told me that brought this thing and made it clear to you and your business partner uh, revolves around missing out on maybe a -a once-in-a-lifetime event. Is that right?
2: Yeah, that's right. So uh, one of our co-founders, Marshall Law, was at uh, the 2017 Astros-Dodgers World Series game here in Houston. He was at one of them. And they were sitting out in left field, which is a pretty sweet spot for home runs and uh, at the top of the second, they they ran up to grab some food while the Dodgers were at bat, and the Dodgers quickly cycled through, and they stood in line for 45 minutes, and while they were waiting in line, uh, Yuli Gurriel just popped a home run, and it went right over their seats. I mean, you you can go back and see the highlight reels, Dave, and you can see the empty seats as that ball flies into the stands, and it just killed Marshall. You know, you you take your family – just to have this great experience to, to not just see the game, but to catch moments like that. And they were waiting in line to get a hot dog. And he texted me that night and said, you know, Aaron, we've got to fix this. And, and <laughs> my comment, again, in, in all transparency was, Marshall, it just sounds like something someone's already doing. And, and he said, well, then why did I miss this? Why did I have to go through that? How can we make sure this doesn't happen again? So, you know, back to your point, Dave, that was our first Take on the concept was let's just help that fan in the stand you know get their food, get their drink, get their merchandise, and not have to get up. But you know what we quickly learned uh, you know going into kind of that next phase of growth was that um, it's the concessionaires and it's the venues that need more support on the back end. So it's not just about getting that food out there, it's how does that food uh, and beverage make it out into the stands. And so we started putting a lot of emphasis on the back end of the platform of the management and the control aspects of that platform so that those teams and those concessionaires can have those tools because simply selling a platform that allows you to buy more food doesn't help the food throughput on the back end uh, at all. You still have lines, you still have bottlenecks. Our software helps to mitigate a lot of that. And then to your point on COVID, you know, as we, as we, Continue to build out the platform, and when COVID hit, it really gave us that clarity to focus on throughput, on how do we help more people get through the line. It's even more critical now because we can't even have lines. So now we have things like the in-seat delivery. We have express pickup, you know, where you're notified where your your order is ready. Um, we have waiters and line busters that actually come through and they can, you know, take people off the end of a line and take their order, send them back to their seat or send them to an express lane, kiosks, so on and so forth. And it's all coupled with a really powerful and easy to use end that, that really allows those concessionaires to manage that event, uh, in great detail.
1: Well, let me ask you this because, you know, there's in your relationship, there's many different partners. The first one I want to ask, just so you can, you know, because I always look at things through the eyes of the customer. And I, and, mm-hmm. and I mean that in a way that's um, the least buzzwordy as possible. But how does it impact the fans' experience? You know, how much quicker are they getting their food or their beverage or their um, your merchandise, you know, despite the fact that you just don't have to get up? But how, you know, how how are the waiting times compared to going and doing it themselves?
2: Oh, yeah. So, You know, if we look at, you know, average wait times, you know, it's it's 10, 15 minutes plus uh, if you're, you know, it it could take you as many as 45 minutes like it did with Marshall when he went to the line. Our average delivery time uh, across thousands of orders, hundreds of events is around five minutes. So, you know, for us, service is number one. It's making sure that the customer has that wow factor, that you know, we've actually had people time us when we're when we're bringing the order. Uh, we've had people who aren't in their seats because they thought they'd have time to run to the restroom and not expecting us to be there so quickly. So, you know, for us, it's it's a real big it's, it's a huge focus on how fast can we get it there? Can we do it economically? You know, we don't need to staff with a thousand people if we can do it with 200 because the fan has a pretty, you know, we, we have a pretty good idea of what their expectations are. And as long as we can beat those expectations, um, you know, by just enough, then we can we've we've got a really good balance uh, between our operations and their expectations, and it works really well. But yeah, right now we're we're well below their ex or we're well above their expectations, I should say. So
1: I was going to say if the average is fifteen minutes, and but a typical, you know, and I'm going to use my experience as an anecdote. Um, a lot of times, if I go to a baseball game in D.C it's not unusual to stand in line for something for 30 minutes or more. Um, you're incinerating yeah. their expectations yeah. because it's so far, like yours, the experience of getting it in five minutes when you've ordered it compared to waiting in line for 30 or so minutes is much more similar to the experience people would get if they go to a sports bar or stay at home or do yeah. any of these other things. And that probably helps with another thing, which is, if you're getting people stuff in, in five minutes, let's say ten minutes, even, uh, how much are you, more are you seeing people consume? How much more likely are people to buy stuff?
2: Oh my gosh, uh, that, that's a great question because we are seeing an increase in purchases. I mean, just think to, you know, your own spend whenever you use an app on your phone, whether it's through Amazon or Uber Eats or DoorDash. You know, the the numbers show that people tend to spend you know anywhere from from 20 to 40% more when they're using a digital device as opposed to in-store or or walking up to the concession stand. So, yeah, we're definitely seeing an increase in those per caps in the stadium. And so now not only do we have great delivery times, higher throughput, but we've also got a higher per cap or higher revenue per order. And so it just it works really really well for those concessionaires. They they love it. You know, back to that, too, on the service side, Dave, you know, a, a big component of ours, a differentiator of seats, is that we put a tremendous amount of emphasis on the operations. You know, there's a lot of companies out there who who are true, what we'll call SaaS, software as a service. And, you know, we're we think of ourselves more as a delivery as a service. And what I mean by that is we don't bring the software and just drop it off. You know, people who do that, you know, they can have software that... That does maybe a little bit of what we do, but they're still going to get that 15 to 20 minute. I've had 35, 45 minute delivery times, uh, you know, via some competitors' platforms, simply because they don't put the personnel on site to do proper training, support, follow ups, and so you know that that's just when you get into a big complex venue, you really have to make sure that there's a good understanding of how that platform works. And a lot of times that involves you just, you know, being there, uh being present to really make sure that it's it's being implemented to its you know its its utmost capacity.
1: Well I think that's a good point too, because a lot of times we'll see people that get way too attached to the technology being the solution in itself. And the technology's great because if you could see me right now you'd see I'm surrounded by way more technology than I care to admit. But the thing is, is the technology is a tool. And if that tool doesn't translate into a better outcome for the consumer, then you've really wasted your energy. You've wasted probably your partner's time and energy. And you've wasted countless opportunities to better serve a customer. And the thing is, in an environment that was as competitive as what we were dealing with before the pandemic, you're losing out on a lot of money. Coming out of the pandemic or coming through the pandemic where things are not just maybe competitive, but also risky. Um, you know, people are worried about their, their health. Um, you know, there's probably a little bit more of a financial burden on a lot of people because they're, you know, really questioning what they want to invest their money in or spend their money and time on. Um, you know, these, these, these opportunities or missed opportunities can be fatal. Or am I, you know, or am I missing something?
2: No, that's exactly right. You only get one chance to to make a good impression, especially when it's something software-related and in a venue. You know, what our clients find is we will always put emphasis on those first few events, a lot more emphasis. And, you know, a lot of times we will eat the cost of extra personnel or extra people just to make sure that that fan doesn't have to wait for their order or that that order is correct. Because the first time that happens, Um, You know, they're just not going to use it again. And there's been a historical uh, documented slow adoption for mobile ordering apps in the industry. And, you know, we're convinced there's a host of things. It's things like connectivity. Uh, It's things like, you know, smartphones are really starting to hit their stride in the last few years. Um, It's things like the conditioning of DoorDash and Uber Eats, you know, saying, hey, you can have stuff delivered right to you in in a matter of, you know, minutes. Uh, but if you don't provide that proper service and you don't help your customers execute it, then you're going to have some disappointed fans and and that adoption rate is just not going to climb. You're always going to have single digit adoption rates. But we've seen that just through diligence in execution and you know uh, creating raving fans, that's one of our partners is the Houston Texans and, and Jamie Roots is the president and that's that's one of his you know his books that he makes his management team read and we've read it as partners and you know you have to make sure those fans are are raving about your service and they'll continue to use it and then their friends will use it and so on and so forth so that's that's been a key tenant of our, of ours
1: yeah and it all makes sense to me because i feel that one of the great ways to differentiate yourself especially in today's world and there's a guy I know who's been on the podcast before i've known him I don't even know how long now, probably at least 16 years, a guy called Peter Shankman. But he says that, um, you know, with customer service, you just have to be a little bit better than shitty these days. And, unfortunately, I think he's right. Uh, That's right. If you you do a good job at customer service, it stands out to such a great extent that Mm -hmm. people are constantly talking about you. They are raving about you on social media. Um, it helps eliminate or reduce the choices they have to make. Because I yeah. think one of the things is, is if the customer service is great, then it makes it easier for you to say yes to doing it again. And that's a mm-hmm. tremendous value. And, and I don't even know if, if each customer that walks through the gate is worth a hundred bucks. I mean, how much is that worth over a season or a lifetime? I mean, it's just a tremendous opportunity to, you know, it, to just wow people a little bit. And like you said, if I can just exceed their their um, expectations a little bit, I'm totally winning. And in the and in the case like you said here, where it's like, oh, if you're standing in line for 30 or 45 minutes, or people are used to getting bad customer service, uh-huh. it's really easy to exceed expectations. Yeah. Yes.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And and, and good customer service is it's hard work, right? We're in an industry where. Clients are paying a lot of money. Fans are paying a lot of money. And they have high expectations. And so what may work for, you know, something outside the gates just won't work inside. And so, you know, I I would argue that a true SaaS uh, will work at maybe at smaller venues. But when you get to, like, things like the professional leagues, you've got to have just a a whole other level of customer service on all fronts. So you're exactly right, Dave.
1: Well, and so how do you... Like what? What does the training for people look like when they when they do? You know, because we know that getting the order right, getting it there timely, um, hopefully, probably being friendly and engaging, and you know, all of these good things. What does that training process look like for people? Because I think for everybody has a little bit different expectation of service, but then they also, uh, I think, hearing about somebody who does customer service well is helpful because sometimes. What are what we think we're doing? Maybe doesn't equal what people expect, or what our com- competition or our partners mm-hmm. are doing. Yeah, yeah.
2: You know, it's interesting because you know it, it goes far beyond just running food from a concession stand down to down to the fan or having it ready for them for pickup very quickly. Uh, you know, we start you know days or weeks before. Working with our clients in the venues, understanding their operations, understanding the nuances of every venue, and really working with them to build a program from the back all the way out to, you know, how much inventory is required to to manage a platform such as ours or to fulfill orders through a platform such as ours, all the way to where and how is it staged? What what type of personnel? How many personnel? Uh, you know and you know, how do we most efficiently staff during an event? And so, you know, a lot of people think it's just about, hey, turn the app on and, and run the food down as it comes through. But that's really not the case. It's, it's a tremendous amount of upfront diligence. Uh, and it requires, you know, a lot of a deep relationship and a lot of trust with your partners. Um, you know, because we've seen a lot, like I said, you know, thousands and thousands of orders and hundreds of events. We've got a pretty good uh, knowledge base below us, and we've got a lot of great partners in the industry as well. You know who, again, really help us say how do we speed up the back end? Not just how do we how do we make the orders go out faster, but what are we doing behind the counters, behind the curtain, to actually make that happen? So, you know, you'll find that that within you know our team, we have a really strong operational group who goes out in the field who does these evaluations, and we have some really you know meaningful, I would say project development, project management meetings to make sure that the tech is married up to it to the operation the way it should be. If you have a mismatch, you're going to have challenges or issues during the game, and ultimately, you don't even have a chance at providing good customer service if the tech and the operations aren't properly married up. So it's it's uh, once we get all of that outlined, we then sit down with the client. And we do some in-depth training over here's here's what we suggest and recommend on the back end. Here's how it marries up to the technology on the front end. We provide you know game day support. Uh, we provide support leading up to it, and then we provide you know we have an extensive extensive knowledge base uh, online that we provide to our clients as well on how to manage their their projects and the software.
1: So let me get this right, and I'm probably going to get I may. I may nail it, but, I, uh, but let's not hold our breath on this one. <laughs> so it sounds like the your platform you created is pretty flexible and it's pretty adaptable to any situation. But where the real value comes up for people, for, for your partners, for you, and for the customer, is the combination of a flexible platform but a lot of investment in personal relationships between you and your partners, customizing each project, so that you are able to help the vendors and the teams maximize the processes involved, so they can get the best service to the people. So yes, it's not like, absolutely. It's not like one just one just stands alone. It's not like like you said, just flip on the switch and we're going to be good to go. It's a you you have to get the people right as well.
2: That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And you know the venues aren't all that different. They they do all have their nuances. But but you're exactly right. You know, this isn't this isn't just an app you flip a switch and everyone's using it and the back end is, is working, you know, without any training or work. It 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 just takes that alignment. And uh, and so, you know, for us, and that's one of the reasons we chose the professional level to focus on, and in collegiate and minor league, et cetera, but it's because they just put such an emphasis on that service and streamline that operations that they've you know, just as we're eager students to learn about their business, uh, the longer our resume comes, they become eager students as well to say, you know, how can you help us improve? And we really appreciate that. So
1: so let me ask you this, too, then, knowing that n- now that you have a resume that's built up, how have you, how did you convince people to buy into this process and take this journey of change with you? Because one of the things I've discovered over the last couple of years is that People really want to change and they want to improve, but sometimes it can feel a little bit risky, or it feels like too big of a project to take off to take off at once. You know, how do you help walk people through the process of change? Because this is a little bit of a different um, setup for most people.
2: Yeah, you know, the most compelling way to convince people change to change is just validation. It's it's gathering your own data, your own information from your own. Operations. It's not just about quoting some consultants, you know, improvement, you know, projections. It's about saying, look, here's what we've actually done at venues in similar size, scope, and scale. Is yours. Uh, on top of that, you know, going back to the the comment about you have to make the right first impression. You know, we don't necessarily believe in quantity over quality. We're going to go for quality every time. And if that means that we're we're not going to start by servicing your entire 100,000 person stadium, then we're not going to start by servicing your, your 100,000 person stadium. Maybe we start with 20,000. Maybe we start with, you know, 30,000. But the point is, give us the opportunity to show you what we're capable of, because we understand, you know, trust can only be earned. And so give us that opportunity to earn your trust. Give us the opportunity to validate the claims that we make, uh, and you'll be you'll be happy and you'll be impressed. And so, you know, going back to our great our great operational team inside, there is just a thirst for perfection that <laughs> I want to say almost borders on OCD. But it has to be right and it has to be perfect uh, the first time because it's just so hard to recover. And not only do the fans remember it, but you've got to believe that those food and beverage providers and those teams remember it as well.
1: Well, it becomes very risky if somebody screws up the relationship that they've built with their customers. And so you have to not just assume, but expect them to be, like, you know, obsessed with it. I I mean, you'd hope so, I mean, at least from my point of view. Um, But let me ask you one other thing here. Um, Because you have a new platform – and because things are changing so quickly, you know, how how is that? Um, maybe I want to make sure I've asked the question the right way so I don't sound like a complete knucklehead. Um, but how is that impacting the way you're innovating the platform? Because I know you had to switch from something that where you had never heard of the coronavirus six months ago to now where the coronavirus is maybe the primary driver of sales conversations and what you're looking uh-huh. at. Um, but how is that, you know, um I know it's an adjustment for you at how you innovate the product but what is it, what kind of lessons have you learned you know and how has it improved the way that you approach innovation
2: you know so we've got a uh, a really organized team on the innovation side and you know I say that because we get new ideas thrown at us every day and and what I'll say is that you know, the COVID has absolutely made our clientele much more creative. You know, can we do this? Can we do that? And so, you know, we go through a pretty a pretty rigorous process. Uh, you know, we probably have hundreds of items on our on our tech roadmap, and we go through a, a, a rigorous uh, monthly process of um, talking to our clients, understanding what's critical, what's not, and then going back with our team and understanding, you know, what our capabilities are to build uh, in a certain time frame. Uh, and so, you know, it's really elevated our innovation game, I would say. Uh, we have actually added people during during this whole pandemic, uh, you know, whereas a lot of people are, are having to, to let people go. You know, we've made the decision that to keep that innovation going, to keep that momentum going, to keep those conversations going with our important clients, we've got to keep the development going, the innovation going, and so, you know, what I would say is that, you know, we we really took the words of the clients to heart before coronavirus, but now that it's it's kind of in its full swing, you know, we really are listening to what they have to say. We're really listening to their concerns, and a lot of times, you know, we find that some of the best innovators are our own clients. They give us the best ideas, uh, and we've we've got a few champions out there who are really helping us build. Just one fantastic platform.
1: Yeah, it, it seems like it's you. You've been able to capture a process that you already had in place, and combine it with some new creativity from folks. And you brought mm-hmm. up a couple things that I really like, and probably this will be a good place for us to um, tease people on the way out and, and, and get, get them pumped up on for for what comes next. Is so we have. A newfound sense of urgency around being creative in all areas of the live, live entertainment experience. Um, mm-hmm. We have a lot of new technologies. We have a new need to think through the experience for folks. Um, where are some of the new revenue opportunities coming? Or where are there areas besides, like, you know, the easy ones that we can create revenue opportunities for folks now? Because I think these revenue opportunities um, are going to be extremely important. And as we've proven, or at least talked about, they're also add to the experience for people, which is unique in in its own right.
2: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so from, from our perspective, we certainly, you know, want to continue that great experience, continue with that, you know, increased revenue per transaction. And so, you know, from our standpoint, we are doing a few key things. You know, number one, we're integrating with, uh, a lot of your your better known loyalty rewards programs uh, that these stadiums and teams you know leverage and utilize. So we're able to recognize you know those key fans who are coming back to the events, uh, and we're able to help them get better engagement. We're also building a, a heck of a sponsorship engine uh, so that we can work with not just the food and beverage providers. But it's allowing us to work with the corporate sponsorship and the corporate development uh, offices of a lot of these teams. So in other words, you know when you, look at our, when you look at our platform, when you look at our app, you have a tremendous number of products and brands that are being pushed through that platform. So we have the opportunity to go back to these brands and, and these products and say, "You know, "Hey, do you want to be at the top of the app?" Do you want to be above the fold or do you want to be below? So, you know, that's kind of your store shelf model. Uh, we also have the ability to, you know, push targeted messaging, targeted sponsorships. So, you know, being a, being in Houston and being an Astros fan, if, if Altuve hits a home run, uh, you know, you should get a pop-up on your app saying, you know, half off Altuve jerseys brought to you by Coca-Cola. And that just gives the team, again, a whole other ability to say, hey, we've got this digital platform that reaches you know, X number of fans per game, uh, it's just another digital billboard. So we're working pretty closely with the teams to understand how we can better implement those types of technologies as we build them out. So it's about engagement. Uh, it's about drawing people you know, back into the platform and back into engaging at the team level.
1: Well, it seems to me, and again, tell me if I'm wrong, but you're able to take that sort of meaningless term, big data, and turn it into something a little more specific a little more actionable and a little more useful
2: that's exactly right that's exactly right if you you think about a stadium now you don't you don't necessarily know who is buying what uh but the more that we digitize it uh you know it's not just dave walking up to the counter and and paying cash for you know two hot dogs and, and two beers we now know that dave bought two beers and two hot dogs we know when he bought it we know uh how many times he made that purchase during the game um and we know if he was at other venues now i will say you know on that note you know we work with uh we work with our legal team and we work with the teams to make sure that we're you know obviously respecting the data privacy it's more about the trends it's more about you know giving them insights into the general habits of you know certain demographics throughout the throughout the venues
1: oh yeah and even if you don't even if you can't target me or Aaron specifically, you can tar, you can target guys like oh, executives who have a net worth in the X range who have an annual income of around this. they like to buy uh, two point five beers per game and eat two hot dogs and they are often going to buy a some kind of merchandise. and then you can, and that's probably much more than they you, you can know right now. Because I think in most cases, it seems like the data is just too – the data sets are too large for people to pull that kind of uh, information out of. And so, by again, if you combine it with the rewards program and buyer patterns, um, you know, buy, buying habits, it, that seems like something that you can really make some money off of because you can serve customers better. And at the end of the day, that's what this is all about.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely right. You're enabling the fan or the teams and those concessionaires to better serve their fans, and then down the road, we're able to build a more personalized experience so that you, as the fan, you know, have a better experience with the platform, better access mm-hmm. to the products that you like.
1: People and people like personalization. They like to feel special. I like to give absolutely. it to them. <laughs> Aaron, where can people find out more about you and what you're working on?
2: Yeah, you can go to our website, SeedSap dot com. Also on uh, all the social media platforms, you can find us at My Seats app.
1: Awesome. Well, Aaron, thank you so much uh, for doing this. Um, you know, tell your brother Ryan. I said hello. That's a, uh, I will. The joke is, I called Ryan when we first started recording. I called Aaron Ryan, and he goes, "Oh, that's my brother." I was like, "Of course, <laughs> I know him." <laughs> but Aaron, thanks so much for doing this.
2: Hey, it was great, Dave.
0: Anytime. What did you think of my conversation with Aaron? Let me know. Send me an email, daviddavewakeman.com. If you like what I'm doing with the podcast, I'd love it if you'd share an episode with a colleague or a friend or someone you think that would benefit from one of these conversations. Uh especially some of the ones with people like Dory Clark. Um, I think the something that like Dory and I were talking about is going to be very valuable for people right now. Uh, Make sure you sign up for my two newsletters. One's called Talking Tickets. That's at talkingtickets.substack.com, and it's five stories from the world of tickets. uh, Each week delivered on Friday um, with a little analysis, some action items, uh, focused on recovery right now a lot. There's another one that I do that's all about strategy and marketing called the Business of Value. You can get that at businessofvalue.substack.com. Make sure you check out my website. It's DaveWakeman.com, where you can find my blog and all the stuff that I'm working on. Uh, connect with me on social media. I'm at David Wakeman on the Twitter machine. If you know the guy with the at Dave Wakeman Twitter handle, please get it for me. He hasn't tweeted in over 10 years. I need the And I need that thing to be on brand. Uh, make sure you connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, Check out my partners at Booking Protect. That's www.bookingprotect.com forward slash home. Uh, You can find some really, really great resources on revenue, recovery, offering refund protection to your clients now. Uh, Might be a vital tool to get revenue flowing into your organization. Give people peace of mind and start getting your organization moving back in the right direction again. Also, check out the We Will Recover project at wewillrecover.live. It's a project put together by Anar and Martin and the Activity Stream team. It's great. Uh, 20-something organizations at this point from around the world contribute their ideas, webinars, thoughts, um, masterclasses, anything you can imagine there. It's wewillrecover.live. It's a great resource. Um, As I've been saying throughout the pandemic, if you need somebody to talk to, I'm here for you. Send me an email, daviddavewakeman.com. Don't feel like you need to go through this alone. Um, I'm here to be someone to talk to, someone to listen, um, whatever you need, hit me up. I'm here for you. All right. Until next time, I'll talk to you soon. Take it easy.